0: If you would turn in the bible to the book of James. I am so excited to ask you to be turning there. James is a letter in the New Testament. And we have not been in a little book study for about 3 or 4 weeks now, but we're about to begin it now. And this is going to be just what the doctor ordered for you and for me and for our church. This is going to be a focus for us to study God's word together. And God is going to teach us and speak to us and bless us and grow us and humble us and convict us of our sins and put into perspective what it means to believe. If you're new to our church, this is kind of what we like to do. We like to uh, pray and choose a book of the Bible and then just get there and sit down with it and spend some time there until we're finished. What we're going to do today. It at chapter one, verse one, and we're going to walk all the way through all five chapters, all 108 verses. I can't promise you how long this will take. It might take a while, but it's going to be good, to, good for us. We are going to commit as a church to be studying this together. You don't have to worry about what we're preaching on. If you want to know what next week's study is, you just look at what verse two says, and that's where we're going to be, okay? Uh, you don't have to wonder. Uh, what other people are, are thinking or perceiving about what what where our church is, we're gonna be in the book of James and we're gonna do this we're gonna do this together. Uh, If you've never been a part of a study like that, then, then, then you're in for a treat because we are going to look at God's word and look at God's word and look at God's word in hope and in prayer that the Holy Spirit will shine his light inside of us and help us to see and believe God and his truth. That's what we're hoping. I'm hoping that you will commit to this, whether you're here in person or whether you're uh, uh, watching online, I hope that you will commit to it. You'll say, hey, we're in a new study. I've really never studied a book of the Bible very much, and I want to. I hope you know that over the next year or so, you'll become a a master, if you will, of the book of James. You're going to know it. You're going to know it. You're going to know a lot about it. You're going to know the details, and I'm going to help you with that. Uh, I hope you will take notes. I hope you'll get a notebook. I hope you will be committed to it. When you miss, I hope you'll be committed to getting back online and catching up on the sermon so that you can follow straight along. We're gonna build week after week on the book of James. The book of James is is such a good book. It's not very long. It's the only one we have that, that James wrote. It's unique in that way. I'll talk about it more in a little bit, but it is, listen to me, It is the first book written in the New Testament. It is the earliest book that we have. This book, James, was written in the 40s. Not the 1940s or the 1840s. The 40s, right, is when this book was written, right? This is the first New Testament book written, and so it's special. We've titled this sermon series Faith Works. If you know anything about the book of James, James comes to a climax where he says, faith without works is dead. Uh, James didn't hold back any punches, right? You're going to see James's letter is strong. He's bold. He's powerful in his writing. And he doesn't care if you want to push back with your, yeah, what if, but, you know, all the, no, James is going to hit you straight with, here's what God says. It's going to be a good book for us. And James just calls it straight. You may say you believe in God, but if we don't see the evidence of God working in your life where you want to obey him, then I'm going to say your faith is not a real faith. That's what James says. In chapter two, he says, faith without a life of some working of God in it is a dead faith. He says the demons believe God and we know they're not saved. So you just saying that you believe God isn't really doing anything for you or for anybody else or for God for that matter. Faith without works is dead. But there's a lot going on in the book of James because he is teaching us what it means to really believe. See, to believe with obedience and believe with power and believe with works. And so it's not just faith and works, the tension of faith and works or the balance of faith and good works. But it's also that faith is the key. That faith is the component that actually works, right? Now, it's not how much faith we have. It's what our faith is in. It's not the amount of faith. It's the the strength of the one that our faith is in, our God, our Father in heaven, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, it is at a time like this where you and I need a commitment like that. We need a fresh word from God. We need his word to speak to us. We need a devotion in our hearts and in our lives, and in our church, and in our circles and in our families to the word of God. Right now is the perfect time for you to say, we need to up our commitment. We need to up our commitment to truth. I want to settle in on this study of James. I'm going to get me a commentary on James and read along as we go. I'm going to take notes and really dive into this. And I don't know much about Hebrews or first John or revelation or, or the, the Gospel of Matthew, but I want to learn the book of James. I hope that's what you will be thinking. And at a time where so many people are worrying, or so many people are living in fear, or so many people are frustrated, I know that all of those things are coming about. We need to know that it is the word of God that is the solution. We need to know that turning our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the word of God is what we Need. We need to say and believe what Holly just sang so beautifully that as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. And we are going to look to God. Corey Tin Boom once said If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. And right now we got a lot of people who can't stop looking at the world. Right now we got a lot of people who can't stop listening to the world and they are distressed. It's creating attention in our homes. It's creating attention in our neighborhoods. It's creating attention in our families and in our church where we are looking more to other things than the calming truth of the Word of God. If we look at the world, you'll be distressed. Look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. Our study at James is going to point us to the Word of God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Rick Warren, the well-known pastor in California, says the key to calmness, the key to confidence, and the key to courage in crisis is faith. Believing God. Trusting God. Believing Jesus. Trusting Jesus. Looking to his word and believing it. And so James is an excellent place for us to begin. In some ways, I like us studying the book of James because it is short. You're not going to feel overwhelmed. You're not going to get deep down in it and lost in it. As I've already said, there are only 108 verses. In my Bible, it is only three pages. I mean, it's pretty short. And so you're going to be able to get a good grasp of it, okay? And so today... I want us to read just verse 1, and let today be an introduction of faith works. Read with me, if you will, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Good introduction. The New Testament has 27 books in it. And most of them are letters, okay? There are 27 books in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament, 66 total in what we call the the Bible, the canon of Scripture, okay? And most of them are letters, all right? A letter is something that somebody sits down and writes, and they've addressed it to certain people, and the context of the letter helps you understand so much of what is being said, okay? Well, James is a letter, and as I've already said, it's the only one that James wrote. And so here's his introduction. We know who wrote it, James, and we know who it's to, the 12 tribes in the dispersion, okay? And today, what I'm going to uh, preach to you all on is that. So as an introduction to this book, I want to ask three questions. Number one, who was James? Number two, what is a Christian? And number three, what is the dispersion that he speaks of? Who was James? What is a Christian? And number three, what is the dispersion, okay? You gotta be careful with a name like James in the Bible. It's kind of like a name like Josh in 2020, right? There are so many Joshes in the world and so many Joshes in my life. I know a lot of people named Josh. It's a common name. Well, in the Bible, there are a lot of Jameses. You gotta be careful with who you're talking about, right? Which James is this? And that's what I want to answer today so we can specifically have a little bit of context, right? We have four Jameses in the New Testament. Four Jameses in the New Testament. We have James the Less, The son of Alphaeus, you can read about him in, in the Gospels, right? He was one of the apostles. There was a James that was an apostle, the son of Alphaeus, called James the Less. That's not this James, right? We don't know very much about him at all. Nobody thinks that that James wrote this book. James the Less, the son of Alphaeus. So that's one of the Jameses. He's not mentioned much except for in the lists of the apostles. There's another James, listen to this, who is the father of Judas, James, the father of Judas, not Judas Iscariot. So there was an apostle, right, named, uh, named Judas that was not Judas Iscariot. And if you read some of the lists of the apostles, you'll hear about this guy. And to distinguish this Judas from Judas Iscariot, the Judas that betrayed Jesus, they mentioned that his dad was named James. Okay? So you can read about that. He was listed in, in Luke. Uh, he's listed in Luke chapter 6. He's also listed in the list in Acts chapter 1. We're not talking about that guy. Again, that guy, we don't know much about him at all. He's just known as the dad of this guy, all right? So we're not talking about him, all right? Well, there are two other Jameses in the New Testament that we know quite a bit about, all right? And so which one are we referring to? The next James is the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder, right? Right? You remember when Jesus started calling his disciples, they were out fishing, right? And the first four that he called were Peter, Andrew, James, and John. You know that. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, right? Well, there's this James who is the son of Zebedee, right? James and John, the sons of thunder. Their dad was Zebedee. You remember that passage in Matthew chapter 20, I think, where the mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, can my son sit at your right hand? That ridiculous request, right? You remember that story? That's that's this James that I'm talking about. This James also was an apostle. But this is not the apostle that wrote this. I mean, this is not the James that wrote this. Because that James was murdered, was martyred very, very early on. Now, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but I'm just going to read to you real quick from Acts chapter 12. If you know much about the early church, reading the book of Acts, you know that Acts chapter 12 was very early on in the work of the apostles. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Right there in Acts, Acts chapter 12, the early church, we have James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, The apostle James killed early on, okay? Very early on. And so the James that wrote this book is not that James either. So, James, the son of Alphaeus, the apostle, not him. James, the father of Judas, not him. James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, the apostle, not him. Well, there's one other James in the New Testament, and it is James who was not an apostle, he was very close to the apostles. It was James, the oldest half-brother of Jesus. Now, this is interesting. This is Jesus' brother, James, the older half-brother of Christ. Now, he was also the brother of Jude because the Bible tells us that Mary went on to have many other children. Now, Jesus was her first, and Jesus doesn't have a dad, The Bible tells us that she went on to have many other children. And Jude, who who writes the letter Jude in the New Testament, was also a brother of Jesus and James, and this James here is the half-brother of Christ. All right? Well, I want to read to you from John chapter 7, verse 5. Just listen to this. John chapter 7, verse 5. Listen to what this says. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus is early in his ministry. He's he's doing um, the work. He's testifying to the power of God, his father. And yet what we read early on in the gospels is that Jesus' family, his brothers and sisters, did not even believe in him. They did not receive him as the Messiah. They did not understand that. But a little bit later on, we know that they did come to believe. And at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the outstanding passage in the New Testament on the resurrection, we read this in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15. Then Jesus, the risen Jesus, appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So we read in the Gospels where Jesus' brothers did not believe in him, so James would not have been believing in him, but at some point along the way, he did come to believe in Christ, his brother as the Christ. And we see that from 1 Corinthians 15, 7. That's the James that we're talking about, the brother of Jesus. Now, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, you find out that this Jesus becomes a huge leader in the church, and that's really good for us because he wasn't an apostle. He was not an apostle, but he becomes a huge leader. If you read the book of Acts and you see where the church, the Jerusalem church, is doing so much, and in many ways throughout the New Testament, the Jerusalem church is like the hub or the starting place of Christianity. The apostle Paul, in all his missionary travels, he travels to to Corinth, he travels to Thessalonica, he travels to Philippi. He's talking to all those churches that are spread out all over the world. He's still talking to them about Jerusalem. You have Paul telling the Philippians to take up an offering, and we will get it to the Jerusalem church. We have Paul telling the Corinthians, take up an offering, and we will get it to the Jerusalem church. And in the book of Acts, we have a lot of talk about the Jerusalem church. Well, it's this James, the half-brother of Jesus, that wrote the book of James, who is a huge leader in the early church. This guy was awesome. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes to the Galatians that it is this James, along with Peter and John, because the other James has been killed, martyred in Acts chapter 12, that it's this James, along with Peter and John, who is a pillar in the Jerusalem church. This James is known as a pillar, Galatians 2, 9, in the Jerusalem church. Well, there's a lot more. Early historians writing about the early church, writing about James, said that James had a nickname as James the Just. There were so many Jameses that they threw out other names James the Less, James the Just. He was known as James the Just. Josephus, Hegesippius said that James had an incredible reputation among early believers as being righteous, as being devout, as being intense, as known for godly living. It was said of this, that often when people arrived at the temple, James was already there on his knees praying. What a reputation, right? When people would arrive at the temple for worship, James would be found there on his knees praying. This was said that James the Just was known so much for praying and being on his knees that his knees became so calloused that his knees resembled a camel's knees. You read this in early church history written a long time ago about this James. It's awesome. It's also reported from multiple sources that James was martyred in the year 62. He was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple and beaten on the ground to death. That's this James. This James was on fire for Jesus, and it was not a temporary season of his life. It was a life change of one who had found the Savior. Knowing all of this, you can see why James' writing is strong. You can see why James's letter has authority. You can see why James really wanted to speak with boldness and confidence to the church about what it means to live a life of faithfulness. Let's not just talk about it. Let's be about it. Faith works. Faith with works. And that's what we have. James' letter contains over 40 allusions to the Old Testament. You read these, this short book, and you will hear so many things that you will, uh, 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 you will remember from the Old Testament. But check this out. Remember, he's the half-brother of Jesus, so he knows Jesus very, very well. He knows him from an angle that many didn't know him. He grew up with Jesus, that sort of a thing. This short book has over 20 references to the Sermon on the Mount talk about his godliness, his zeal, his intensity, his passion. This short book has over 20 references to the Sermon on the Mount. That's the longest sermon that we have of Jesus. That's Matthew 5 through 7. That's this James that we're talking about. Now, I said to you that it's the first book written in the New Testament, and it was written in the 40s. And I want to show you what we're talking about, okay? So turn with me real quick to Acts chapter 15. Turn with me real quick to Acts chapter 15. This is where we have the Jerusalem Council. An issue has come up in the early church. There's some false teaching. There's some discussion. There's some, there's some division. They're trying to figure out. Listen to me. They're trying to figure it, figure it out. What does the church look like when the church is made up of, as diverse persons? The church is trying to figure out what's it look like to navigate when we have people from different walks of life coming together and Christ unites us all. That's what they're wrestling with. Specifically, it's Jews and Gentiles. How do we handle Jewish people becoming Christian and Gentile people becoming Christian and they being one in Christ, right? Now, remember just a little bit ago, I read to you from Acts chapter 12 where Herod brings the persecution and the other James was killed. You remember that? Acts chapter 12 is an ugly scene. They're wreaking havoc on the church. Remember he arrested Peter in that same chapter. We only read the first two verses. But Acts chapter 12 shows... A lot of persecution. The church is being attacked. The church is being scattered. All that stuff's going on, okay? Well, so we're just a few chapters later. We have the Jerusalem Council. I want to read this with you. Chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see that? That's a problem. You don't have to be saved I mean, sorry, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. I remember when uh, JJ was born, my firstborn. And I remember we were in the hospital and we'd just been there a few days and I was so happy. That was January 2nd of 2008. I had become a dad for the first time. And I remember us standing there and just looking through the window and seeing him. And he was like eight pounds. and I just remember how awesome that was. And I remember somebody was there visiting. We were looking through there together and we were standing right there. And it was somebody in my family. And so they said, Has he been circumcised yet? And when are they taking him to be circumcised and all that sort of stuff? And I said, Oh, man, they, they better. I really want him to go to heaven. I hope they do get him circumcised. He's got to be circumcised if he's going to go to heaven. And they looked at me like, What? I said, I'm just kidding. That's the issue here. There are people that think you have to do outward things in order to be right with God. That's exactly what people were coming down from Judea and teaching the believers that they had to be circumcised if they wanted to be saved. Listen to me. Tell the message far and wide. Go tell it on the mountain. If you will repent of your sins and in your heart believe in the work of Christ on the cross, you will be saved. Jesus is a savior of sinners. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. The only thing you need, we just sang, Andrew Crawford always picks out the best songs for us. The only thing you need to be saved from God is a savior and you have it in Christ. All this notion about clean yourself up or dress this way or act this way or do this or do that is baloney and you're adding a yoke or a burden to the people who are coming to Christ. You need Jesus and he is there for you. Would you believe? Would you trust him? And so in Acts chapter 15, that's the issue. They're saying they, they've got to be circumcised. So here we go, verse two. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, and we love that about Paul, You don't come down to Paul's church and start teaching something bad without getting a a confrontation from Paul. And we see that a lot with Paul. No small dissension. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed, uh, appointed the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they and they declared all that God had done with them but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses so it's getting more intense even with the encouragement even with the stories about how God's saving gentiles even with how God is bringing the nations to himself they're reporting that to the church it's all good news this is awesome Some people speak up to the missionary apostle Paul and they say, "Nope, they ain't saved yet. God might be working in them, but they're not saved yet. They're not saved until they get circumcised like the Old Testament says, according to Moses. Verse six, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And there they, there had been much debate. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know. That in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them. Praise God, right? Praise God that no matter what the differences are to us in the flesh, that in Christ there is no distinction. You need to believe that. That's the message the church has to be sharing today, that there may be a thousand distinctions in the world between us, but in Christ we are united to God. It doesn't matter how you got there or where you came from. If you are a believer in Christ, we are united. Peter is preaching right now. We may be Jews. They may be Gentiles. But since God saved them, there is no distinction. Let's keep going. Verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Amen. Cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. What clarity from Peter. Peter. Peter says, us Jews are circumcised, but that ain't what saved us. It's Jesus that saves us. And we believe that they're saved by Jesus and we believe that we're saved by Jesus. And we've got to make sure that that's our message. We're not trying to burden anybody with something unnecessarily. Church, that's a good word for us. We have to make sure that we know our message is Jesus. We have to make sure that we know that our message is Jesus died for their sins. To make sure that anybody can be saved, and we proclaim that. Well, it gets better, verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, uh oh, look who it is James. Everybody see that? That's the James that wrote James. The Apostle James died in chapter 12. And in chapter 15 right here, we have James, the brother of Christ, not an apostle, speaking up as a leader in the Jerusalem council, a leader of the Jerusalem church, and he is about to speak some awesome, godly, faithful truth into this tense moment. Let's read. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet Amos. Verse 19. James is still talking. Therefore, my judgment... Is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. That's James. Man, James knows the gospel, doesn't he? James knows. James said, listen to me, you got to get this. I'm way off from the book of James right now, but you've got to understand James before we start reading what James says. James says, brothers, we don't want to trouble these people with circumcision. Listen to me. We don't want to trouble these people. Saying you got to do something to be saved is troubling. Did you see what James said, though, right after that? Here's what James did say. They should abstain from polluted things. They should abstain from idols. They should abstain from sexual morality. They should abstain from things uh, with the blood, right? James said, that ain't troubling. That's gospel right there. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ. That doesn't trouble somebody. You tell a believer to turn from their sins and stop acting like that and stop living in disobedience, you're not troubling a believer. You're encouraging me. You're holding me accountable. You're pushing me to Christ. You're telling me I need a Savior. You're reminding me of the cross. You're reminding me of the blood. You're reminding me of the one who died for my sins. That doesn't trouble me to hold me accountable and tell me what sin is. What troubles me is you try to get this dead body to try to do something that earns my way with God. That's troubling. Notice that distinction. Y'all, James knows the truth. James knows the heart of God. James knows that if we aren't saved by grace and grace alone, we aren't saved. It didn't do something. I love that distinction. He stands up he says, guys, listen to me. Paul said what he said. Barnabas said what he said. Peter said what he said, but listen to me. We're not going to trouble these guys. The Holy Spirit has come. He saved them. He's changed their lives. And we're not going to ask them to do a single thing that makes them think they get right with God. What we are going to tell them is keep repenting of their sins. Keep trusting in Jesus. That's James, a leader in God's church, a leader in the Jerusalem church, a leader in the Jerusalem council. Not an apostle, but like an apostle, close to the apostles, closely related and connected to the apostles, spent time with the apostles, but he's the half-brother of Jesus. So turn back with me now to the book of James. It's this guy that wrote this letter. And knowing what we know about him, I'm ready to hear from him, aren't you? Knowing what we know about this powerhouse, about this uh, one who walked with the Lord, knowing what we we know about a guy who was known for having such callous knees because he was on them so often, man, I want to listen to him. I want to hear what he says. I want to be here Sunday after Sunday. I want to have my Bible open. I want to know what James says. Well, Again, that's who the New Testament tells us who James is. There are four Jameses, and we figured out which one it is. That's just for you to have some context. In his introduction, James tells us who he is. Look what it says there in verse 1. A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. My first point was who was James. My second point is what is a Christian? A Christian is somebody whose identity is found in Christ. A Christian is somebody who has given up all status that they may have achieved for good or for bad and placed their identity, their worth, in Jesus. I just built James up the best I could with all the New Testament and with all of church history. I just presented a resume for this James that was impressive, I think. It impresses me. You let James write a letter, let James speak for himself, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't even mention his elite status of being a brother of Jesus. He's not saying, listen to me, guys. If there's anybody that knows this Lord Jesus Christ, man, it's me. I used to sleep in the same house with him. No. He doesn't say those sort of things. He wants you to know that he is surrendered to God. He wants you to know that he is a believer. He is repentant. He is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it very clear there that he's not just a servant of God. He's not just a servant of Christ. He is a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ because the way you come to know God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes would have eternal life. The way you get into the family of God is believing that God gave his son so that all of you could become sons and daughters. That's the way it works. And so don't miss that James is ultra clear here that he's devoted to God and he's devoted to Christ and he's devoted to God because he's devoted to Christ. That's what he's wanting us to know. He's a servant. You know, a lot of times, and I hate to admit this, a lot of times you and I get crooked and sideways on trying to understand what makes us Christian. We say things like, I go to church a lot. I read my Bible. Everybody in the rooms heard somebody say, man, we were at church every time doors were open. And you got to be reminded yet again today, that ain't it. And that doesn't matter. That's not your identity. I hope it's not your identity. There's a lot of things James could have said. He could have said, James, leader in the Jerusalem church, to all the 12 tribes of the dispersion. No. He wants you to understand that even in his mind, in his eyes, his identity that makes him a child of God, in the family of God, a follower of Christ, it is because he is a believer. He has surrendered. He is trusting. He is forgiven of his sins. He confesses that. That's his identity. He is a servant, a bond servant. This word means a slave. This is the word do doulos. He is absolutely giving up of himself and giving it all to God. And you see that through his reputation of being a prayer. And while we may be many things, we must be those who serve God. You remember when Paul wrote to the Galatians? And early on, there's all this stuff. They're getting into the circumcision stuff in the book of Galatians. And Paul writes early, one, early on, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Do not think that I'm trying to please men. I am not a servant of men. Galatians 1.10, you may know this verse. Do not think that I'm here to please men. I'm not a servant of men. I am here to serve God. I am here to please God. We'll let the chips fall where they fall. We'll let the cards fall where they fall. I am a servant of God. And This is what James is. James wants us to know that this is his identity. Among other things like good man, honest man, family man, awesome mom, Bible believing, honest, faithful. Among all the other things that we can be, make sure that our identity is in Christ. Make sure that it includes our confession that we are sinners, that we are needy. That's why I love that song that we sang there. And Holly just kept singing that I am need that I need you God. That I need you God. This is our identity. This is our confession. It's our testimony. Christians have a testimony. And so when we start to look at what is a Christian, it must include our need for him, our sinning against him, our rebellion against him, and what God has done in his love for us to bring us back through Christ, through the cross, through forgiveness, through redemption, through salvation. You think about what John the Baptist said when he said, I'm not worthy to undo his sandals. You remember that? You think about where John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease, right? We know that John the Baptist, being a believer in Christ, understood that his identity was committed to Christ. I need him. You could not not let John speak about John without knowing that Christ is the one that's worthy and he's the one that's not. You think about Paul's great declaration in Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is no mistaking, there is no confusing what his identity is, what his confession is, what his testimony is. You're not going to hear him start to speak about what makes him Christian because all the good things he does, no. He actually does that a few times in in Corinthians, and he says, this is ridiculous. It's not the way I talk. I'm doing this to prove a point, but that's not my real identity. In Philippians, which we studied not too long ago, you remember when he did boast of his resume, he said, now I consider all this as rubbish. I count all things as lost for the sake of knowing Christ, Paul did. This is the testimony of a believer, that I need Jesus, and I have him through his work on the cross and through his resurrection I know that my Savior lives and my Savior is living now and I am right with God through him so what about you I said who was James and what is a Christian who are you and are you a Christian do you have a testimony do you need him do you pray that you need him do you speak like you need him have you been humbled before him are you broken before him are you forgiven of your sins do you ask him to forgive you of your sins Do you know that you're needy? Do you like it when we say that? Do you like it when we sing a song that says we're sinners and broken and needy? Or are you upset by that? Are you hoping we can hurry on and get to another song that talks about how much you love God because you want to declare how good you are instead of how good he is? What about you? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you said, starting today, I'm going to follow him through the ups and downs, the highs and lows. I know it's not going to be easy. I know I'm not going to be good at it, but I know he'll accept me. I know he died for me. I know that with him there is forgiveness. All the things James could have said, here's what he says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look in the mirror and think long and deep and hard about who you are. Cast yourselves on the mercy of God. Don't try to give yourself a pep talk about how not needy you are. Believe Jesus. Trust him. Say he loves me. He died for me. I'm forgiven. Let your identity be in Christ. Lastly. What is this dispersion that he talks about? What is this dispersion that he talks about? That's who it's to. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Well, we read in the book of Acts that the persecution gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's reported that all of the apostles were martyred. We don't know that John was, but he was on the island of Patmos left to die. It's reported that they were all martyred. There was hostility toward Christianity, and the book of Acts shows us a lot of that. We just read it in chapter 12. And so if you keep reading there in Acts chapter 12, what you see is that they had to run. They had to flee. They had to spread out. And so there's a common term in the the early church called the dispersion. It is the scattering. It is the uh, getting them out there. It is them running to safe places. Families were being attacked. Homes were being raided. People were being left without food. Now this word dispersion literally means like through a sowing. Like you took some seed and you did it like that, right? But the early Christians, okay? The early Christians spoke of them fleeing from persecution into different spots as the dispersion. And so who this letter is to is the believers in Christ that are spread out all over the place, trying to cling for hope. And in that way, listen, that's very similar to where we're at right now. Now, the difference is, at least in our American context, is there still not a whole lot of persecution? There is some persecution. But the difference is that there's not a whole lot of persecution, but there is a whole lot of us being scattered all over the place and us being distracted because of a coronavirus and a pandemic and us living with anxiety and tension every direction we turn. And James wrote a letter to the believers. That we're living like that. And I think it's fitting for us that we get ourselves committed to this letter from James, the Word of God, during the time that we're living in. God doesn't want us to stop following Christ, God wants us to believe, God wants us to trust, God wants us to know that faith works. The very thing he wants from us right now is to hold on tight. To believe. To read and hear and trust. To know that God knows what he's talking about. You know, I can remember sometimes going out to eat with my family. and It's always fun to go out to eat with your dad. It's, you know, I like to be around my dad and I can remember us having a big meal and me being in awe of how much my dad's able to eat and us getting up from the meal and him going, man, that hit the spot. I needed that. And I'm not trying to make heart of needing something. I mean, make light of needing something. But you know what it means when you say, man, I I needed that. Let's take that a step further and already three times this summer I've had poison ivy and I hate it and I'm highly allergic to it and it bubbles up really badly and as soon as I get it and it starts swelling up on me I say I just just need to go to the doctor and get that shot at the doctor they'll give me a steroid shot and within 24 hours it's already drying up I need that I need that shot I say to my wife I just got to get that shot And it'll start drying up my poison ivy. We could give several examples of what it means to really need something. Listen to me, church. Right now, you and I need to hear from God. You know that you do. Your soul needs to see clearly, God's got me. God knows. He's with me. I need to listen to him. And so we're in this together over the next several weeks and months right here in James. Today was verse one, next week's verse two, and maybe a few more. But God's gonna speak to us, and we're gonna be strengthened in our faith, and we're gonna be a church that believes. And we're gonna see God give us courage and confidence calmness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of James, and thank you for James. Thank you for this brother of ours who was a brother of Jesus. Thank you, God, that he wanted his identity to be that he was a servant of yours. Father, we worship you and we praise you today for James, and we do pray, God, that you would bless our study in it over the next several weeks. God, we pray that we would know who we are and we would know that we're Christian and that we would have a testimony and a confession. And Lord, we ask that you would do that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.